Good morning. It's still morning for a little bit. We're glad that you're here with us uh, for worship today. Scott Shepard mentioned several of our announcements as we uh, started the service today, and I want to mention one specifically to you um, as we start. Uh, in next week, next Sunday night, we're beginning something that we've done for several years, uh, and I realize that we have a lot of new people that maybe haven't been here before for our 76 Hours in the Word uh, event. It's one of the favorite things that we do, one of my favorites. Um, we, we make no apologies about the fact that we believe that this, the Bible is God's Word, that is inspired truth, that it is applicational for our lives. And so we do one thing once a year where we uh, set aside about 76 hours because simply because that's how long we figured it takes a group of people to read God's Word. And so on next Sunday night, April 30th, we will begin at 8 o'clock and our staff, some of our staff will start that reading uh, at 8 o'clock Sunday night. And they will start with uh, the first page with Genesis 1 verse 1. And we will go for about 76 hours uh, through around midnight on Wednesday night, May 3rd. That leads us up to the National Day of Prayer, which is uh, the 4th, that Thursday. Uh, and we, all we need for this event is people to read. If you can read, uh, you can do this. And I'm asking you to not worry about getting hung up on what names you're going to read and places and what words you're going to stumble on. Believe me, nobody knows the real names of those places. Nobody is confident as they're reading through those guys' names. But there is something that happens. And I've done this for more than 10 years probably, and yet there is something that happens every time that I on purpose set aside time to read God's Word. He meets me there. He does something in that moment. I believe he honors it as his church reads it out loud, and I believe you'll be blessed by that. We, we still, as of this morning, had about 50 spots left. So that's uh, only about a third of the uh, spots that we need left. And so I'd love it if we could get that filled today. We've got enough people here today that we could have that sign up filled and have all those slots taken care of as we come together and honor God's Word. <clears throat> as we start today, uh, if you want to turn, if you've got your Bible and want to turn where we're going to be, we're going to be in, in the Gospel of John chapter 5 this morning. As we start, let me ask you a question. Have you ever walked out of a particular situation getting more than what you bargained for coming in. Maybe you went to the store for one item and came out with a cart full. Or maybe you went to check out after your meal at a restaurant and realized that somebody had already paid for your meal. And then you wish you had gotten dessert, right? <laughs> Two weeks ago, here at Nineveh, we had our annual Easter egg hunt. And we saw hundreds of kids, I don't even try to count at that point, uh, who came out to hunt Easter eggs. And actually, our kids got more than what they bargained for. The children's ministry volunteers uh, had set up face painting booths. My daughter was a tiger for 20, 48 hours or something like that. Um, Easter Sunday morning, she came as a tiger to church. Um, they had 
drinks and snacks provided. They gave out door prizes. They even brought out live goats and bunnies for the kids to pet and play with. The kids had a great time. Uh, But I read not so long ago about an Easter egg hunt where one child almost walked away with much more than he had bargained for. A few years ago in Somerset, England, about 25 children were hunting for Easter eggs in a field next to a busy roadside when one boy was seen standing on something peculiar. Peculiar. One adult said later to the newspaper, we were beginning to count up the eggs at the end of the hunt and I saw a boy of about three years old standing on an object. It was brown, and it was about four inches high. It looked like an Easter egg, but it was, in fact, a hand grenade. I know. Fortunately, the mistake was quickly realized by his parents, and and everyone was kept safe. The grenade was later destroyed by law enforcement officers in a controlled explosion, The newspaper said that the boy had likely stumbled upon what was a World War II relic. And he just thought that he was going to collect some Easter eggs. See, I've learned in my years following Jesus that with Jesus, very often what you get ends up being more than what you bargained for. And maybe it's not always the unexploded hand grenade kind of variety, but you know what? Figuratively, maybe sometimes it is. Maybe sometimes it's something that comes and literally turns a life upside down. Today, let's turn in our Bibles, if we've got them, to John chapter 5. And as we do, we're going to look at an encounter that one particular man had with Jesus that ended up being much more than what he could have bargained for. It's in John chapter 5. It'll be here on the... uh, It's in your bulletin. It'll be here on the screen as we're following along as well. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 18 of John chapter 5. It says, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him laying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me get into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And at once the man was cured, and he picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath, and so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick up your mat and walk? 
The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. And so, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. May God bless the reading of his word today. Today, as we're following along, we're going to break down this story that we just read, and we've got your notes on the back of the bulletin, and if, if you're following along there with the fill in the blanks, here's the first one. Here's the idea that we're going to look at today in John chapter 5. Jesus arrived that day at the pool of Bethesda to give this man something better than what he was seeking. Here's the main point of this encounter that we're, as we're going to look at it today, is that this guy thought he knew what he was looking for, and yet Jesus came in and gave him something better even than his expectations. Today, I'm not going to pretend like I know all of the situations going on in all of the lives of the people facing me today. I know you may be anywhere in your life from highs celebrating milestones or important days to lows walking through periods of depression or grief or loss. You may be brand new in your faith. You may be still learning what God wants from your life. Or you may be someone who, who's been in Christ for decades and feels like they know that there is uh, all there is to know about following Him. And I don't know where you are today, but as we look at this story from John chapter 5 of this lame man who meets Jesus on the Sabbath, I want to encourage you today with a spiritual truth. No matter where you are, no matter what you face, no matter what's in front of you, Take this to heart. And it's the next line in your bulletin as well. That Jesus has something better for us than anything that we can plan or seek on our own. Let me say that again because I hope you believe this, church. That Jesus has something better for us than anything that you and I can plan or seek on our own. Let's look at a couple verses that tell us that very thing. And first in John 10 and verse 10, this is Jesus himself saying, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I, Jesus, have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Another translation there says abundant Life. You see, Jesus, while, while the enemy desires for you to be killed and destroyed, while, while the enemy desires destruction in your life, Jesus says, I've come that the people that would know me would know life. 
that in Jesus we today can know life. The promise of eternal life, but even more than that, Jesus says not just that we're holding on through all this stuff that we have to face because someday we're going to get eternal life, but Jesus says, I've come that you would have abundant life today, that you would know a full life today. And so for those of you that are sitting in front of circumstances that have caused your eyes to go somewhere else today, let me remind you, Jesus desires for your life to be full. Jesus desires for your life to be abundant. And no, that does not always look the same way that we may plan for our lives, that we may imagine for our lives. And yet, what Jesus desires to bring is better than what you and I can imagine at all. Look at what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3 verses 20 and 21. He says this very thing. This is talking about God here when Paul says, now to him who is able to do, look at those two words, immeasurably more than all that we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus for all generations forever and ever. Amen. You see, this is my God, church. The God that is able to do immeasurably more than what you bargained for. And today, if you don't know that Jesus, I hope you come to know that Jesus who desires more than what you're ever going to be able to, to have in your life on your own. So this is what we're going to look at today. As we look back into uh, John chapter 5, as we pick apart these verses and dive into the story that we've just read, we're going to look at the ways, five ways in which Jesus desires to bring us something better than what we have on our own. And these are in your bulletins. The first one is this. Jesus' ability is greater than my inability. Look back at verses 6 through 8 of John 5. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked this man, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me get in the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Now, I want us to look at verse 7 again. Verse 7 is this man's response to Jesus' question. Jesus says, do you desire to be healed? Do you want to get well? And in the NLT, let's look at a different translation this time. This is how this man says it in John 5, 7 in the NLT. His response is this, I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to get me to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. You see, we can look at this story and wonder why is this guy for 38 years waiting on healing that has never come until this particular day when Jesus 
appears. And, and when we look into the text, we realize part of the reason is probably eventually at some point, this guy started believing that he couldn't. This guy started believing that this was impossible to achieve on his own. And again, I don't know what any of your situations are today. I don't know what you're facing, but I know that there are people here today that are facing situations where the same truth is in front of you as it was that man at the pool at Bethesda. I can't. I can't get up in time and get to the pool. I can't make myself well. I can't fix the situation that I am in. And for those of you today who are stuck in, I can't, guess what? You're right. You can't. But what if God could? What if God could take your can't, your inability, and turn it into His ability for His glory. Look at what Jesus says in Mark chapter 10 and verse 27. Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. And today, there's some of you in your situations facing what you're facing that need to be reminded of the simple truth of the scripture that all things are are possible with my God. Look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 9. And by the way, Paul is talking here about his thorn in the flesh. Paul is talking about this thing that he prayed to God three times for God to remove, and he didn't. And so don't get it into your head that just because God is able, that, that his best will for you is removing the thing that you think he ought to remove. But look at what Paul does say. Look at what Paul says about this thorn in the flesh. 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 9 says, But he, God, said to me, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest in me. See, the truth of this today is not that simply God is able to do anything God wants to do. And therefore, if you're stuck in something you don't want to be in, it's your own fault. Because you know what? There may be something that you're in the middle of because it is advancing the will of God. There may be something that you wish could be removed because it is actually the will of God for your life for whatever reason. And to those people, I would say, God's will and God's plan for you is better than what you'll ever do on your own. So hold on. And to those people, I would say that it is in fact in those moments, in our weakness, when we're confronted with our I can'ts, when we're confronted with our inabilities, that God then is made powerful in his ability. Paul says, in my weakness is he strong. God can show power in our weakness so that Christ's power, Paul says, may rest on me.
That leads us to number two. Truth number two about this story that we can find about Jesus is that Jesus' power is stronger than the cures that I seek. Look at John chapter 5 and verse 7 again. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. The lame man here in John chapter 5 seems to be waiting on something to happen when the water is stirred. But he's not able to get there in time. In John chapter 5 verse 4, it gives us actually more information on what that something is. Now, if you've got your Bibles this morning, you may see that there is no John chapter 5 verse 4. Or maybe it's just a footnote in your Bible. And that's because it's not included in most of the earliest manuscripts. And therefore, it was instead most likely written in later. So most of the modern translations take out what was originally John chapter 5 verse 4, and that's why your Bibles skip right to verse 5. And yet, even though it's not in the original manuscripts, I believe it, it explains what this guy is talking about here in verse 7. I think it explains what it was he expected when he got there at the pool. So let me read it to you. This is the footnote or the hidden verse here. John chapter 5 verse 4 says, From time to time an angel of the Lord would come down and would stir the waters. First, the first one into the pool after each such disturbance would be cured of whatever disease they had. Now, I'm not saying today that an angel of the Lord actually came down and stirred these waters or that people actually received some sort of supernatural healing at this particular pool. That's not really supported in the, the earliest texts. But it does seem clear here that there were people who believed this and that there were people who were waiting for this kind of healing, that that in fact is what this man seems to be waiting for. He was waiting for the water to be stirred up, whether it was true or not, whether there was actually an angel that came and did this, or this was just some old wives' tale or some superstition. We don't know. But the truth is this, that is not where this man found his healing that day. This man was not healed after 38 years of being paralyzed because he just happened to get down in the water in enough time. Because he was able to do what he wasn't able to do all that time. Even if this were true, this is not where this man found his healing. He found this in the one who comes to give life, in the one who is life. And it turns out he found a lot more than what he expected. Number three, Jesus's will is more important than my limitations. Look back at chapter five of John verses eight through 13 this time. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath, and so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. 
The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. And so they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick up your mat and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. If you read all of John chapter 5, today all we've read is just a portion of it, but if you read the entire fifth chapter of John, you'll see that beyond the healing of this lame man at this pool of Bethesda, that there's a side story that's going on in this chapter too. It's between Jesus and the Jewish leaders. They are upset that Jesus has been out healing on the Sabbath day when there are Jewish laws and regulations that restrict what a person could carry, how far a person could walk, what constituted work that a person could do on what was supposed to have been the day of rest. And by the end of the passage in John 18, we read... Uh, John 5, rather, verse 18, we read that they've got two problems with Jesus. These religious leaders have got at least two problems with this guy. It says, for this reason, they tried to kill him all the more because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father and making himself equal with God. And so, in the middle of this beautiful story of this man finding healing after 38 years, we find that the Jewish leaders cannot accept it. They can't process what's happened because you're not supposed to heal on the Sabbath. And because they certainly didn't believe that this lawbreaker could be who he claimed to be. That he would be equal with God and God's own son. And yet, guess what? That invalid man still received healing on the Sabbath that day. You know why? Because Jesus is bigger. Jesus is bigger than our rules. Jesus is bigger than our ideas. Jesus is bigger even than our unbelief. Was Jesus stopped that day because the religious leaders didn't believe he could do it? Was this man healed that day? Even though these people in the crowd couldn't imagine that this could be done, wouldn't allow it to be done on a Sabbath? And so today I ask you, what limitations do you have that are standing in your way of being where Jesus wants you to be? What is it that's standing in your way of you living a full and abundant life in Jesus? Is it your unbelief? Is it these impossibly high standards that you've placed on yourself? Is it insecurity that somehow you don't believe you've bought into the lie that you don't deserve to be forgiven, that you don't deserve to have life and freedom, that you can't break out of the bonds of whatever it is that is holding you back? Because let me tell you today, whatever is standing in your way, my Jesus is bigger.
and his will is what's most important. Why would Jesus heal somebody on the Sabbath when the Jewish law makes it clear that you weren't supposed to do work on the Sabbath? Because Jesus' will was even more important than those rules. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Jesus says, But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these other things will be given to you as well. See, they were doing it backwards. They were holding on to their understanding of the law first, and they missed everything that God was doing in their midst. They held on to everything that they assumed should be right, and they were missing what was happening right in front of them. This guy is walking and carrying his mat, and he's not been able to do that in 38 years. And what do they say? Oh, you can't do that on the Sabbath. That's not allowed. And they're missing the miracle that's walking right in front of them. Because they were seeking all the other things. When Jesus says, if you would seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, then guess what? All the other things would line up in their correct order. But sometimes we let all the other things stand in the way of us having what Christ desires for our lives. Number four. What can we learn from this situation with Jesus? Number four, Jesus' healing is more lasting than physical healing. See, this is an interesting truth in this story because at its, uh, at, at its face, it looks like a story about physical healing. But it turns out that it's about more than that. Look at John 5, verses 14 to 15. It says, Later, Jesus found him, this man who he had healed, at the temple, and he said to him, See, you are well again. Now stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. And the man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. Let me ask you a question. What if Jesus hadn't given that man physical healing that day. Would this be the same story that it is? No. Jesus' will have still been done in that man's life? You see, because Jesus makes it clear here that there is a worse fate than being physically disabled. This part of our story reminds me of another encounter that Jesus had with a similarly disabled man in Matthew chapter 9. I want to read it, a part of this story for, for you this morning. Matthew chapter 9, verses 2 through 8. It says, Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some teachers of the law, here these guys are again, said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven. 
or get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on the earth to forgive sins. And so he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, and go home. And then the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God who had given such authority to man. You see, in both of these encounters in John chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 9, Jesus ends up giving physical healing to both of these men. But it's not the most important thing. There is something better. And that something is part of the reason that Jesus came to the earth. And so today, if you're in a place where you're dealing with physical sickness, or where you're dealing with cancer, where you're waiting on healing, where you're waiting on test results this week to know what you're dealing with, and let me say to you, I will pray with you for your healing, and I will join you in praying that God removes this from you. But let me say also that, that physical healing is not your greatest need. Because there is something worse than physical death. And if we have physical healing and we go to God and we receive healing or we've got the best doctor in the land and that guy keeps us healthy to all the end of our days, then guess what? Eventually I will die and I will deal with the fact that my life spiritually is not what it needs to be. I will deal with the fact that I had perfect physical health and yet... I missed out on knowing what spiritual life was. And so today, if you're praying for healing church, I pray with you that you receive that. But understand this, the physical healing is not the most important thing that we can receive. It, likewise, removal of the obstacle that you're facing, removal of your chains, removal of what it is that you're faced with is not the most important matter today. The most important matter is whether or not you know the one who came to give his life to give you life because he is life. And he and his life is greater than anything that you can ask or imagine. Look at John chapter 5. This is at the end of this chapter. This is not in what we read earlier, but this is verses 24 through 27. And this is when Jesus is continuing to explain why he did what he did. He says, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from life to death. You tell me, church, what's better, having physical healing now or an eternal crossing over from life, from death into life? Verse 25 says, Very truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the son of man. Today, church, we're faced with the question of, is what I'm seeking, what I'm praying for, what I desire in my life to be taken away, is that God's ultimate will for my life? 
Or am I seeking first his kingdom, his righteousness, his life, and allowing him to do what he will with my life? Last one, number five. The last lesson that we learned today from this passage is this. Jesus' work is greater than anything I will ever accomplish on my own. Look at verses 16 through 20 of John chapter 5. It'll be the last passage that we read today. Jesus, uh, it says, So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer, Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He does. And yes, and He will show Him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. See, that day when Jesus healed that man who had been at that pool, who had been an invalid for 38 years, there were two groups of people that were watching what happened. The first we've already seen. The first was these Jewish religious leaders who... who didn't care what happened. All they cared was this guy was breaking the rules. But the second group of people were the followers of Jesus, were his disciples who watched these things happen. And the men who followed Jesus that day did not know what Jesus had in store for their lives. But Jesus promised that they would see even greater works from the Father, works that would amaze them. And you know what? Most of those men who followed him as disciples would go on to see those greater works and know what it is to follow Jesus. Most of those men would eventually lay down their lives for the kingdom of God. Because eventually in Jesus, they understood that whatever they could toil and, and spend their lives searching for, whatever they were building up, whatever they had in their own Identity was nothing compared to what Jesus Christ could do through their lives. And today, many of you are seeking after things with your life that will never give you life. You're putting it in your storehouses. You're filling your calendars with it. You are wasting your time and your energy on thing after thing after thing that will never satisfy and will never give life when the one stands before you who would give you life and give you life to the full, knowing that anything that you gave your life for in him would far outweigh whatever you would be able to do and accomplish in your own life. And so today, as we close, there's one question left. It's the last question in your notes. 
It's the question up here on the screen. It's the question that Jesus asks this man at the pool that day. The question for you is this. Do I want to get well? I'm going to ask Corey and the band to come out today as we close. And this question has always struck me as unusual here. This guy has been an invalid for 38 years. This guy has been paralyzed and without the use of his legs for 38 years. And Jesus comes to him and says, well, do, do you want to get well? You see, it seems like a no-brainer, right? And yet, I think Jesus was curious. I think Jesus looks at that guy that day. I think Jesus knows a little bit about his situation, knows how long it is he's been laying there, knows how long it is that he's been living this particular life. And Jesus says, do, do you want to get well? Because see, the truth is, this pool at Siloam was not, uh, this pool at Bethesda was not simply a place where people thought maybe an angel might come and stir the waters and give healing. This was a, a regular site for the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. This was a regular place for people who would come with their physical infirmities and beg for money from the people that were coming into the temple in Jerusalem, hoping that they could get some spare coins for the people bringing their offerings and gifts to the Lord at the temple. And this guy in 38 years, you know what my, my, my mind tells me? This guy had probably become a little bit comfortable in his life. Maybe it made him a living. Maybe, it, it, maybe he was doing pretty well. Maybe he made enough off of begging that it started to take his eyes off what the original problem was, that he had come to this pool so that he could receive healing. And you know what the truth is today? The truth is that some of you all are sitting stuck in situations that you cannot get out of, situations in chains that you cannot break, that you are in bondages and addictions that you have no way out of. And the truth is at some point, this became who you are. This became just your normal everyday existence and part of you became comfortable in it because it's what you know. And all the while, Jesus Christ desires to pull you out and give you abundant life, give you a full life in him, and you don't even think there's a way out. And today, if that's you, I assure you, church, there's a way out, and it is not on your own. If you're stuck in I can't, then you're right, because you cannot break those bonds yourself. But I know who one who can. I know Jesus Christ, Son of God, can give you life. He is life. And so today, church, as the invitation time comes, as we stand and as we sing, I don't know what you're facing, but I know what our Father can do. I know what Jesus desires to do in your life. And I know that he desires to see chains broken. He desires to see lives freed, lives given purpose in him. The only question today, as we stand and as we sing, is do you want to get well?